Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Remember Christians who suffer for Christ, and I mean that specifically, and I mean that very directly. You need to remember people right now, contemporaneously to your life, remember those around the world that are suffering because of their Christianity, and you need to remember those who have suffered throughout church history and throughout biblical history. As our society gets more technologically advanced, in other ways it seems we're going backwards. Specifically, we're becoming more and more hostile to the message of Jesus Christ. And today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Favares encourages you to remember the Christians who suffered and died for the cause of Christ. I'm your host, Dave Drewy. You'll hear why these martyrs matter as we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And now, here's Pastor Mike Favares with part two of a message titled, Motivated by the Martyrs. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8 as we look at the response to Stephen's death. So you follow along, I'll read this from the English Standard Version. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. Now, if you know your Bible, you know the basics of the book of Acts. You know there was a man named Saul of Tarsus, who we're going to learn a little bit about in verse 3 here, that was persecuting the church, but he ends up getting converted and becoming the Apostle Paul. But he was giving full approval to the death and the martyrdom of Stephen. And there arose, middle of verse 1, on that day a great persecution. Not a small thing, not pushback, not just a few disparaging comments on social media. This was a big persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. They were hanging in there in Jerusalem. Now, devout men, verse 2, buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul wanted to see more of it. Saul was ravaging the church. He was entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. It says, now those, that personal pronoun, pointing back to verse number one, who were scattered, went about preaching the word. Augustine says, the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. Think about that. Augustine, fifth century, said, the the church owes Paul. And of course, he's monumental in the effect that he has in the church. We're all still reading the letters that God used him to write to bring revelation to us, to bring God's truth to us. And here it was at the end of Stephen's life. Look back at the last verse of chapter 7. He's praying that people would be forgiven. He says, as he's falling to his knees and crying out aloud, verse 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And as we said when we covered that at the end of chapter 7, there's no way for God not to hold sin against people unless they repent and put their trust in Christ. He's praying for conversions as he's testifying in his fidelity to the truth of the gospel and of Christ, and he's praying that people get it right. And there was a guy there holding jackets, holding the cloaks of the people that were throwing rocks at Stephen until he died. And that person, in just a few short chapters we're going to read, comes to faith in Christ, becomes a monumental player in the early church. You need to know what a radical conversion that was and what a huge impact that was. And in that sense, Augustine speaking humanly about the fact that if Stephen were not there testifying with his own life, who knows, at least humanly speaking, if we had ever seen an Apostle Paul. Look at the impact of an unyielding Christian. 
If you're taking notes, I'd like you to put it down that way. Number one, you need to consider the impact of unyielding Christians. When people do not bend, what kind of strength do we derive from that? The early church derived a lot of strength from that. They were giving that message that Stephen gave and it cost him his life. They weren't going to stop. They were going to redouble their efforts on this. This was a catalytic event. The impact of a life that was not going to give in to the cultural demands, which in this case was the Sanhedrin saying, you can't preach that way about Christ. We told Christ he was wrong when he was here. We told your pastor he was wrong when he was here. Hey, Stephen, we're telling you you're wrong when you're here trying to say that this Jesus was the son of man. We, we, we're not buying it. And he's not backing down. Do you ever gain any strength from watching those that are standing up for the truth of the gospel? I, I hope you do. In the scriptures, we see people do that. And I hope there have been those times when you say, man, that makes me want to be stronger about my resolve, my pressure that I receive to be quiet, to back down, to sit down, to shut up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to push back against the pushback. Stephen wasn't trying to be necessarily argumentative or necessarily pejorative. He wasn't trying to be pejorative or argumentative at all in terms of his relationship with those guys. He wanted them to be saved. That's how he ended his life, praying for their salvation. But it was going to cause that, and he wasn't afraid to endure that because he had a sense that that was more important than the peace in his life, and all of that was served to advance the gospel. Paul says that, and it's a great line. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Philippians 1.12 well, if you're going to look back and derive any fortification of your faith or any strengthening of your resolve or any boldness in your words about the martyrs, well, then you need to keep them in mind. Go back to our passage in Acts chapter 8, verse 2. They had a funeral for Stephen. It was a big deal. They were devout. It was serious. It was, it was, it was a good kind of funeral in the sense that they mourned his loss. That's what funerals are for. They're not celebrations of life. They're, they're times to mourn and to grieve the loss of this relationship. They're also a time to remember who they were. And they, I mean, Stephen was remembered, remembered not only in the book of Acts, which by the way, I might argue that Luke spent more time recording the first martyr's speech than he did the first sermon by the pastor, Peter, the apostle in Acts chapter two. Think about how much space they're remembering the words of those who did not yield. He wanted to add more of that speech in, in the book of Acts. Luke did as he wrote this. That's a big deal in the early church. Right? They kept talking about the importance of guys like Stephen who were willing to give their lives for this. It was a high honor to suffer for Christ and to see even our own lives being threatened for the cause of Christianity. Well, they remembered Stephen. And number two, you need to remember Christians who suffer. I mean, that's something you must do. Number two, remember Christians who suffer for Christ. And I mean that specifically, and I mean that very directly. You need to remember people right now, contemporaneously to your life. Remember those around the world that are suffering because of their Christianity. And you need to remember those who have suffered throughout church history and throughout biblical history. A couple of passages. Let me start with this one. Hebrews chapter 12. You are commanded to remember those who suffer for Christ. Let me show you. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Starts with a word that I know is going to take us back into chapter 11. And we will in a second. But look at the first word there. Therefore, whatever he's talking about in chapter 11, if you know your Bible, you know what chapter 11 is all about. Hebrews 11. All these people that trusted God at great personal cost to themselves. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What's the Greek word for witness? We've talked about that, right? 
witnesses, right? There's the idea. It doesn't mean that they had to die, but that word, martus, is the word that they are testifying to the truth of who they are trusting and believing in. Let us also lay aside every weight. Well, they did, apparently, and every sin that so clings cling so closely, which for a lot of us is timidity and fear and anxiety and what-ifs about if I really get counted with Christ in this situation. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And those people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to, they're being pressured to go back to the old temple ceremonies and the sacrifices, and why don't you respect the Levitical priests anymore? They're having pressure, and he's going, listen, we got a race to run, and we got to run it. Look at the people that have run the race and testified. They've been witnesses about the truth. You got to run that race that's set before you. So who are these witnesses? Well, we could spend all morning in Hebrews 11, but let's at least get the last paragraph here or two. Look at verse 32, Hebrews 11:32. 32. I mean, he's reaching this fever pitch of just listing all these people, but he says, what more shall I say? Hebrews 11:32. for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Are they perfect people? Not perfect people. You know their stories. Perhaps you know their stories. But through faith, and they did a lot for the kingdom of God, right? They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. Think of Daniel. They quenched the power of fire. Think of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women even received back, in rare occasion in the Old Testament, they're dead by resurrection. Man, that's great. Win, win, win. I like it. I like it. I like it. Get out of trouble. Well, all those things are really hard, and it is a lot of trouble. But look, some did not win in this life. Middle of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. They resigned themselves to death. Torture and death. Others suffered mocking, verse 36, and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death, right? They were sawn in two. You're not living through that. They were killed with the sword. Some, not quite that bad, but still pretty bad. They went about in skins of sheep, and goats, why weren't they dressing in nice linen turbans and, and, and cloaks? Why? Well, because they lost their job. They were destitute because of their fidelity to God. They were afflicted. They were mistreated. And then a little commentary here, which is why the church should honor their martyrs of whom the world was not worthy. What were they doing? Well, they lost their homes. They were wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Now, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. All the Old Testament, as Stephen said, was moving up to the ultimate prophet that would come. Like Moses, it would come as this intermediary. And Christ was coming. He would pay for our sins. He would represent us before God. And you know what? That was something they were dying for. They didn't even have the full picture of God's provision. And God's provision was in Christ since God, verse 40, had provided something better for us. We don't look forward to it with our imagination with a blurry fog. We can look back on it with the precision of historical writings and say, Christ came. He was the Lamb of God that takes away this in the world. And apart from us, by the way, they shouldn't be made perfect. They don't even have their sins forgiven without the coming of Christ. And that was an argument from lesser to greater. Look at how we ought to be ready to be sawn in two, to be tortured and killed, to be flogged and mocked. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, martyrs, if you will, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking, by the way, you want a good example of a martyr? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, which was the ultimate accomplish of his mission on earth, he endured the cross. So he had this terrible, awful thing happening here called a Roman execution. 
and he despised. He looked down upon the shame, like not a big deal. I'd rather please God. I'm willing to think less of the shame and the pain. And of course, God exalted him, now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. None of that makes sense if you don't remember those who have suffered for Christ and even Christ himself who suffered, and we're told to remember these people. Think of them. Remember them. 1 Peter chapter 5, and thinking about how the adversary in verse 8 is prowling around seeking to devour us, we're told to resist him and stand firm in your faith. Satan loved to take you down. He's at work in the sons of disobedience. The non-Christian culture is working against your allegiance and commitment and resolve to follow Christ. They'd love for you to yield. Satan wants to make you yield. Somehow bend the truth to fit what they want you to say. And it says in this passage, as we stand firm, it says this, we need to know, to remember, to be mindful that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. Well, there's two passages, 1 Peter chapter 5, Hebrews chapters 12 and then 11, for us to know that we have a biblical imperative for us to remember those who have suffered and are suffering. I mean, I rarely try to exercise pastoral authority in such a specific way, but I'm asking you, I do it every week. I try to give you some books to look at I, on our digital worksheet, or if you got one when you came in, at the bottom, I always give books. I don't know, 13, 14, 15 of them. This week, they're all basically the same. Same theme, maybe different subjects, but all in the same concept, which is here are people that have suffered for their faith. Here are people that are, are suffering for their faith. And I want you to find one of those this week, and I want you to start reading it. If you're well-versed in this, find one that you haven't read on the list. I'll bet I got one on there you haven't read. And I just want you to get it, either digitally, on your phone, your iPad, whatever, and I want you to start reading it. Even if it's just two or three pages a day. If you order one, it comes in the mail this week, and you put it by your bedside, I want you to just at least pick that up, just a couple of pages before you go to sleep. And to think about the people who have laid down their lives, and the people that have been in prison, the people that have been tortured for their faith, and then just say, okay, tomorrow morning when I get up and go to work, I got a little pressure. When I'm in that mom's group and they're kind of getting on me about these issues of cultural this or cultural that, and they know that Christianity is in conflict with that and opposition, I, I'm not going to be afraid. At least I'm going to work through my sweaty palms and weak knees, and I'm going I'm to say, I, I, you know, I stand with Christ on this. I need to remember Christians who suffer for Christ. They remembered Stephen, and we should remember those who have died for their faith. Verse 3 was an interesting description of the way Saul of Tarsus is now ravaging the church. Let's read that verse again. Verse 3, Acts chapter 8. But Saul was ravaging. That can't read a commentary without them pointing out that this Greek word is used to describe, and outside of the Bible, the killing of animals by other animal, predator animals. So like an animal that gets blood all over his face and fangs are dripping blood after he tears a gazelle apart or whatever, that picture is the picture of Saul just kind of, of just ranting and raving and going and just wanting desperately to destroy the church. He, he's messing it up. It's chaotic. It's inducing fear, surely, at some level in the hearts of Christians. And then look at this. This is a proactive kind of persecution. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I want you to think about that. It's not like you guys cannot gather anymore on the Temple Mount. You cannot be there. We're going to have temple guards there. We're going to arrest you, and you are going to be in trouble if you come to church this week. That's one kind of persecution. Right? You start preaching James 
coat, right? You know, the pastor up in, in Edmonton, right? Got arrested and you can blame that all on COVID restrictions or whatever. But the idea is him saying, I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach in a situation that a lot like other situations. And I don't want to get into all that debate, but a lot of things Edmonton's allowing people to do, not going to allow you to do church. He does church. He gets thrown in prison. It's one thing for you to be thrown in prison for standing on a stage and doing what they told you not to do. And when I hear him and his story, at least in the news, who graduated from a, a local seminary here, preaching the word at Grace Life Church in Edmonton, I also get to hear his wife take the circuit and go to the Christian newspapers and some of the talk shows and a couple TV stations. And Aaron Coates talks about, you know, my husband's in prison, my husband's in prison. That's one thing. Your husband put himself out there. But think about if they said, oh, do you agree with your husband or not agree with your husband? Because we're coming to your house and we're going to take you. You might as well get your kids situated with a non-Christian aunt or something because we're taking you to prison too. That's a different kind of persecution. That's trying to smoke you out and route you out from your little clefts of your rock and you know, hiding in the corners. And all I'm telling you is that there is an increasing move in our culture to not just say, hey, you start bringing your religion out of the pew and into the marketplace, we're gonna narc you. You start trying to take your ethics from the Bible and live it out there, that's a big deal. But it, we're getting to the place now where there's a demand for you as they find you in your home or in your business or in your neighborhood or in your industry, saying now, you gotta parrot what we say. We gotta par- you gotta parrot what we say. We're, they're going after us. There is that sense in which they're saying, we're not gonna let you hide anymore. We don't even like that you're in our culture anymore. There's an increasing pressure upon us in that regard. And you may say, oh, you know, you're just sounding the alarm and it's doom and gloom. Well, okay, even if you think we're a long way from that in our culture, you know that's happening all over the world. You do know that. Read some of the books. Go to some website. Go to the Voice of the Martyrs website, persecution.com, and just read about what's going on around the world right now of people seeking, actively seeking to find Christians and having them either imprisoned, punishing them with fines, the blasphemy laws that are ramping up all over the world, I've just skimmed some of those reports, lengthy reports of nations that have blasphemy laws, which mean, of course, that you can't blaspheme the going cultural religious tide. And if you're a Christian, of course, you're going against that. So we're not going to dig that. We we were against that. Number three, it's like Saul doing all of that, right? And not just the men who are up there speaking, even if a wife like Aaron, even the men and women all taken off to prison. You need to, number three on the alley, you need to give up on hiding your Christianity because you can hide your Christianity and think, well, I'm never going to have to be stuck with the decision between confessing or renouncing Christ. You're right. When the temperature is not up, you can come to church, you can sing the songs, you can say amen at the end of a sermon, you can even clap when it's over, go, yeah, dig that, I'm all for that, and go to your work, shut your mouth all week long in your neighborhood, in your relationship with the world, don't even, just don't talk about it, and you'll be fine. I doubt you'll be called on the carpet as to what you believe, and you're not going to be in trouble. You can be quiet. But when the heat ramps up, you don't have that luxury. Then they start asking you. They start saying, you need to do this. Even the the Nini's Cafe story in west side of Chicago, there's a good example. You've got to parrot what we say. And if you don't, we're going to shut your business down and we're going to burn it which is what happened in that case. I want you to just think about the ways in which that takes place. For instance, they're going to call us the worst dregs of society if we don't parrot what they say. And if we can't say it because we are faithful to Christ and we are trying to love the world by saying Christ loved you, here's the answer to your sin, and Christ died for your sin, but sin is, I don't know, uh, highlighting distinctions between ethnicity, ethnicity, so we can't do that. 
and, and foregoing all the sexual rules of what God said is allowable and is not. We can't forego that. We have to affirm that. And rebelling against the natural order of things like gender, well, we can't do that because God was clear on that. Matthew 19, Genesis 1, I, we can't do that. And they're going to go, well, you can't sit and say those things in your pew. Now we're saying, if you don't say those out loud, and you're a Christian business owner, you're a Christian salesman, you're a Christian accountant, whatever. Listen, you're going to have to parrot our lines. You're going to have to approve sin. And if you're not saying that, then you're in big trouble. There's a price to pay. You just need to see the move. I know that you think cancel cultures, you listen to your talk radio, it's all about political views. Well, you understand, this is not about my concern about politics. This is about my concern about what the Bible says and what Christ says. And so we cannot back down. And I'm saying you might as well now just start living your life more openly about your Christianity because there's going to come a time when you can't anyway. So just open it up. Speaking of, as it says in Hebrews 11, the lion's den, you know, it was Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. And again, it's another one of those fiery furnace things. Yay, God got him out of trouble. But you do remember how he got in that trouble. Well, yeah, it was the jealousy of the other leaders there in the Medo-Persian kingdom, and they wanted to go after Daniel. I, I, get, I get all that. I get it. But when, when Daniel heard that you could not pray to any other god besides the Medo-Persians and what they had decided, well, he went to do what he normally did. And you remember the one little fact in the way that he describes what he does in, in Daniel 6. It says he opened his windows and prayed, right? Prayed toward Jerusalem. He was in exile in Babylon, and he opened the window. And I'm thinking just, all you got to do is close the windows. Close the windows. <laughs> that will at least buy you some time. Now, I know you got jealous people that want to get, but close the windows. Right? If you're Daniel's wife, I'm thinking you're probably going to suggest that. It wasn't like he marched into Darius's palace and said, hey, everybody, I, wanna wa I want you to watch me pray right now. I'm going to pray to Yahweh. I'm going to pray to the God of the Old Testament. No, he wasn't trying to be a jerk. He's trying to do what he always does. And he's not going to hide his Christianity in that case, anachronistic term, but he's not going to hide his devotion to the God of Israel. And I'm saying, you can't hide your Christianity. I don't want you to hide. I don't want you to try to hide your Christianity because they're coming to find out what you believe. I mean, they are one way or another. You might as well go on, a, on the record now. And I think you need to stop being or trying to be an undercover Christian. You're listening to Focal Point. Today's message is titled, Motivated by the Martyrs, and it's part of a month-long series to kick off the new year called Gospel Advance. Now, Pastor Mike will join us again in just a moment with one more announcement, so stay with us. And don't forget, you can listen to this program or any of our previous messages anytime when you go to focalpointradio.org. At Focal Point, we're excited to lift up examples of courageous faith, like you heard today, and to help you seek after God and become more like Christ each day as you listen and apply God's truth in your life. That's the reason we're here. And if you're ready to step up and help us bring this program to others who desperately need to hear God's truth, then we invite you to become part of our team of supporters who give generously to ensure that the unfiltered, uncensored Word of God is heard in their communities and beyond. The new year is a great time to start the habit of giving. It's easy to give a one-time gift or set up your monthly giving when you go to focalpointradio.org or by calling 888-320-5885. Now, before we wrap up today, here's Pastor Mike with a special announcement. 
Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In the summer of 2024, I'll be teaching the Bible on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. I want you to come with me from August the 4th through August the 11th, 2024. We're going to discover the splendor of God's Word while we explore the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Join us for world-class dining, daily teaching, worship. It'll be an unforgettable experience. So don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska to learn more. Thanks, Pastor Mike. Get more information about how you can join us in Alaska at focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back for the final installment of a message from Pastor Mike Fabares called Motivated by the Martyrs. That's coming up Wednesday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear, but we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's word is true. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.